Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Tony Pulis to my Pep Guardiola. It's Justin Peach. Good Good afternoon. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Swing me a bit. <laughs> How's it going, Justin? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Not bad good, at all. Good. We're joined on the show today by Billy Grant from the Brentford podcast Be Sotted. Billy, are you well? I'm not too bad. I'm very, in fact, I'm very happy now. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, we're all right. We are all right. And we also have Alex Everson from the Reading podcast, Elm Park Royals. Alex, how are you? I'm doing pretty good as well. Pretty good after yesterday. You were late to the podcast because you decided to get a panini from Costa. How is it? I haven't tasted it yet. I'm hoping it doesn't go cold before we finish, though. (laughs) We'll be quick with this, don't worry. Uh, We'll start with the game from Friday night, a West London derby between Brentford and QPR at the Brentford Community Stadium, which the QPR Twitter account called the Lego Stadium before the game. Billy, were you offended by these critical remarks? Oh, dear. We did find it quite funny, actually. The problem with QPR... Um, when they do things like that, it always, always hits them in the face and it hit them in the face yet again. It's, it's really strange because, you know, when we play these London derbies, I mean, with, against QPR, we've played them now 10 times. We've won eight, we've drawn one and we've lost one. It's the fourth win in a row. So you've, you've got to be a little bit careful, you know, when you come against situations like that. I mean, we get a little bit, um, we, we have a little bit of sort of kind of like, you know, crossing our fingers sometimes when we play these games because we know that it can, it can hit us in the face. Just because we've beaten, you know, QPR or we play them nine times and we won sort of kind of seven out of nine, we know that this could be the one that could have actually gone horribly wrong. And I was really, really, really nervous coming into this game. And I think when they put that Lego thing up, it's just, just I think that Lego thing was pinned in the dressing room and it just did the job for us. So, no, I wasn't offended. I thought it was completely and utterly hilarious. <laughs> just in the game finished 2-1 to Brentford. But on the balance of play, I thought QPR were a bit unlucky. Do you agree? No, yeah, I'd, I'd say I'd say QPR were were unlucky, but um, I think Brentford had the, the better chances and they're clearly the more clinical side. You know, they were they were lucky um, not to be down to ten men, which is obviously a talking point with Sorensen barging into the back of Dykes. But um, yeah, they just they just came up against a slightly better team, um, and it and it showed throughout the game. Billy Brentford have sneaked up to sixth, which surprised me because. They haven't been great so far, have they? Uh, they've drawn quite a few games they should be winning. But do you think we will be able to see the best Brentford very soon? Yeah, I'll tell you something. There's, there's been a lot of debate with the, you know, with the besotted crew. You know, we've got quite a big podcast crew. We discuss this a lot on WhatsApp, you know, and also with a lot of the Brentford fans. And there's a lot of disappointment, I think, coming off the back of last year's playoff final loss. The fact that the back end of last season, we were actually were so good playing this flair football. We were, you know, we were going out scoring goals for fun. We had Ben Rama doing stuff. We had just Josh Silver playing, you know, we had Bumo playing well, Ollie Watkins banging the balls. And so, Listen, we were very, very fortunate at the back end of that season, but the reality is that we, we didn't win and now we're back in this division here again. So we've come to the start of the season again with the usual slow Brentford start. And a lot of Brentford fans were a bit disappointed saying, oh God, it's typical, we're not doing that well. But actually the reality is that this is the best championship start we've ever had. I think the style of football we were playing, people are saying, oh, Brentford, they're, they're not quite playing that style of football. But what we have become is I think we've become a little bit more practical and if anything, probably slightly more boring than we were last season, if that makes sense. So I don't think things are as bad as they're made out to be. 
Ivan Tony scored again. 12 goals for him now. And the thing I was saying in midweek, Billy, was that it's great Tony scoring all these goals, but if you take him and Marcus Force out, then the rest of the team has only scored four this season. So the rest of the side needs to step up and start putting away some chances, don't they? They do. And and, you're, and again, it's something that I thought about the last few days. I was thinking, actually, you know, to be fair, Marcus, Ivan Tony, we've got a joke again at Besotted that, you know, he's going to, he scored 12 in 12. So he's going to score 46 goals this season in 46 <laughs> games. Uh, I'm not quite sure if that's going to happen, but that's just kind of what we're rolling with at the moment now. But we just thought, what happens if he has a bad run? What happens if he gets injured? It's a problem. But again, football's not as simplistic as that. It's not a case of you take a player out and the player that comes in doesn't score. You know, you change your team around, you swap it around even though Ivan Tony, brilliant player but I don't think it's as simplistic to say that no um, if he's not there we're not going to do as well but you are right last season we had Bumo scoring goals we had Joshua Silva scoring goals we had other players scoring goals we need that yet again but also last season um, I think um, Saeed Ben Rama had only scored about one goal up until now. I think Bumo had scored one or none up until now so listen just give us a bit of time we're, we're still there and just kind of treading water well uh, Reading Ended a winless run of five games by beating Bristol City 3-1. And it was a very good performance from Red and Alex. It was very good. And I was on here last week and said, don't really see where our next three points is coming from. And then we drew away against Millwall and beat Bristol. And uh, by all accounts, I think we were probably unfortunate to only score three really yesterday. Yeah. 18-year-old Michael Elise beautifully set up one of the goals. And now he's got the joint most assist this season. What a talent he is, Alex. Yeah, I mean, there's... Let's be honest, Michael Lise isn't going to play in, in the championship for more, more than a year. Uh, however much Reading fans are desperate for him to stay, um, the guy's just insanely talented. And, and the pass for, uh, pass for Reading's second goal yesterday, which Mate scored, he knocks it with the outside of his boot. And uh, we discussed it yesterday on our, our podcast around how it was very reminiscent of our only other real, I guess, really successful academy talent, which was uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson and that pass was very Gilfie Sigurdsson-esque outside of the boot from inside his own half to set up, set up a golden opportunity for us to score. And Yeah, I can see him going for big money next summer and I can't imagine that he'll be playing in the championship for much longer. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. After Reading had a good start to the season, you managed just one point for five games before this game. Uh, did this win look like it could be a turning point for Paolo's boys? Um, yeah, I think so. This is the first win when we've really, I guess, had a setback during the game and been able to go on and, and still win the game quite comfortably. Um, we really made Bristol look quite poor, I think, yesterday. And um, I think they, I think they might have only had one shot and that was the goal, or possibly two shots with one, one goal and one of a shot. Um, you know, despite the fact that Reading were out in front for the vast majority of the second half, we didn't really get up any any chances particularly um, outside the goal, which was definitely shouldn't have been given miles offside. Um, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a definite positive to see us beat a team, which is higher up in the table and, and we're playing very well before yesterday um, and do so quite convincingly as well. So I can see it being a definite turning point for us and, and hopefully we'll be able to kick on and get some points against kind of lower, lower table opposition in the next few weeks. Yeah, you're spot on about Bristol City because just in from their perspective, it was a pretty shocking performance, wasn't it? It was, and it was. I didn't, I didn't expect the level of dominance. You know, Reading had ten shots on target compared to Bristol City's four, and obviously to, to you know, sort of reiterate what Alex said, Reading made them look pretty, pretty poor. But I think that's partly down to the, the rough shape that 
Dean Holden's team are, are in at the moment. Um, I think he's had to compromise on what he wants to do with the team because of the amount of, inj- amount of injuries he's had um, to two key players. Tommy Rowe, for example, is a makeshift centre-back, which you know probably wouldn't have foreseen this at the start of the season. Um, and they are lucky it wasn't worse. Moore should have been sent off. Um, Wells and four other players were offside for their goal. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a pleasure to watch uh, for... Well, well, from a rating perspective, it was. And Bristol City can thank um, Daniel Bentley and the officials that it wasn't worse for them. Mm, definitely, Alex. How was your panini? Uh, yeah, it's not bad. It's, it's not bad. Is it? It's going. It's going a little cold, but it's all right. It's still tasty. Billy, Alex, thanks for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But me and Justin are going to take you around the grounds now and we'll kick off with Preston, who are not doing very well at the moment at all. They lost 4-1 to Watford yesterday. Jimmy Atkinson is from the Preston podcast from the Finney. And you're having a tough time right now, aren't you, Jimmy? Hi, guys. Yeah, um, not been our greatest week, if we're honest. Um, yesterday's game, missing five players who could play at fullback. Um, three through suspension and two through injury so a bit of a patched up team yesterday in all honesty and yeah beaten by the better team on the day Watford had class about them we got ourselves back into the game at 2-1 but then conceded within a matter of minutes um, been a bit of a pickle at the minute um, if we're honest and it's probably a, an accumulation of things um, on and off the pitch two signings since the 2nd of August 2019 bit of a stale squad and yeah I think that's translating into performances at the moment and we've got a bit of a tough one of fixtures as well which doesn't help. Mm. Alex Neal's under a bit of pressure at the moment isn't he? Where do you stand with him? I think he's under a bit of pressure Ryan for the first time now and I don't think there's a better man out there to do the job personally. I, I think you've got a manager with a promotion to the Premier League on his CV done a good job here so far however I just feel that there's a lot of things that have gone wrong over the past few weeks especially and I think if it could have gone wrong it has gone wrong it's for me if he if the club do decide to part ways with the manager who comes in that's my biggest concern I don't think there's a manager out there that could come in and really make a positive impact on the squad that we've got at the moment it's mediocre in terms of squad depth you've got we've got a good first 11 some great players in Ben Pearson, Ben Davis, Alan Brown, Daniel Johnson, but all four of them are out of contract in summer. So we've let four of our best players get to the last seven, eight months of their contract and the manager's clearly frustrated by that. He's already come out in the press and said it's out of his hands. I don't know if I can fully put all the blame on Alex Neal at this moment in time because there's a lot of factors at play. Yeah, that's kind of similar to what I was saying in midweek. And just carried on from that, do you worry a bit about the long term at Preston? Because as you mentioned, you've got four key players out of contract in the summer. Um, and I don't think the playoffs are going to happen this season now unless there's a massive turnaround. And if you lose those four players, the squad could be in a bit of a could be a bit poor next season, couldn't it? I think that's the understatement of the year, mate. Um, yeah, we're in a bit of a pickle. Um, after the end of the season, if and when we lose those players, and Darnell Fish is out of contract as well, um, who's been a decent player at right back when he's not misbehaving. Um, so yeah, we are in a bit of a situation, and having only signed two players in the past sixteen months, we're going to have to have a big overhaul, whether it's in January or in the summer. And you know, Alex Neal at that point has only got twelve months left of his contract as well. So, is he the man that's going to oversee that? 
overhaul of a squad and that next stage. I don't know. And I think that's the concerning thing for me at this moment in time. Yeah, it's um, it's a tough month ahead. You know, December's going to really decide the future of both Alex Neal and probably us as a football club uh, for the next two or three years because, you know, we lose these players in January or the summer and there's a big, big really rebuilding job on our hands. Well, cheers, Jimmy. Strong words from him. And Preston were very poor here, weren't they, Justin? Yeah, defensively, they've they've been terrible for for a while now. They've conceded 11 in the last six and had the joint second-worst defensive record alongside Derby, which, considering how, you'd say, efficient Preston have been in the past under Alex Neal, is quite a surprise. The first goal, for example, against Watford, there was two players barely closing down the cross, um, which was then whipped into an unmarked cleaner. Um, and that set the standard for the defending for the rest of the game. And I know they're missing fullbacks, but the shape didn't help Preston. Um, it made it easier for Watford, who played a 4-4-2. Just go full Tony Pulis and play makeshift fullbacks. It's not. It's just not convincing at all. Um, and I'd be a little bit worried if I was a Preston fan, uh, because they're sinking so quick. Yeah, well, that's what Jimmy just said. He's a bit worried about the long term for Preston. Uh, but Vladimir Ivic, he'll be delighted with his team here, won't he? They were very comfortable in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I said the formation helped them. You know, playing wingers against... No full-backs, essentially, and no wing-backs, because obviously Preston played Sinclair and Barkhausen as, 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 as wing-backs. It helped them. It helped them get um, overloads, and obviously one of the goals came from crosses. Um, and that's Watford. They're, they're, unbeaten. they're unbeaten in five now, three wins in six. Um, and they're picking up form at the right time with players coming back in, like Deeney, and that only makes them stronger. Um, it would be hard for them to stop um, if Ivic can find the balance between attack and defence, because that's, that's been the issue, I think, for the first quarter of the season so far for Watford. Yeah, Ismail Assal was ridiculously good. Uh, not too surprising considering he was being linked with Man United in the summer. In fact, why no one signed him in the summer is mental because he's a top-off Premier League player, isn't he? And he's only yeah. 22. It seems like <laughs> common sense to just get him. He could single-handedly get Watford promoted this season, I think. I know they've got loads of players who are Premier League quality, but he is a cheat code in the Championship. Watford, the only team to score in every home game this season and are now third behind Bournemouth and Norwich. All three relegated sides getting along very not, very nicely, mm. aren't they? Uh, still not going so nice for Derby, who drew one all with Wickham. It was Wayne Rooney's first game in charge as interim manager after the coaching team idea was scrapped very quickly. <laughs> uh, joining us now from the second tier podcast is Derby fan Justin Peach. Justin, hello. Hello. Were there signs of improvement here with Mr. Rooney in charge? Um, there was, and you know, for once, I don't have to criticise Derby massively. Um, as I say, it was so much better um, because there was there was an improvement going forward. <clears throat> it is still frustrating because Derby have now dropped eight points from winning positions this season, but in this game, they created so many more opportunities, and I think that's down to to one man, and that's Colin Kasim Richards, the journeyman, thirty four <laughs> years old. Imagine, um, imagine saying that to you a couple of months ago. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's mind-boggling. But the game, the game changed in Wickham's favour when he went off after an hour. He was the focal point of every attack. He holds the ball up so well. He brings players into the game. He scored a good goal, but he was rightly ruled off offside. But the movement was great, and his assist for the Holmes goal was was superb. Lovely flat drive into the middle of the box, causing causing a bit of havoc. He will get the best best of the players around him, and not only that. He's a bit of a bastard. <laughs> we is. all need to be a bit of a bastard, as exactly. Jason Mourinho made very clear in the Spurs documentary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and if it's coming from Mourinho, he's got to be on, on the right track. But he was fighting every duel. He was arguing every decision against the officials. And Derby need that sort of character going forward. 
yeah, I thought Dwayne Holmes played very well as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Rooney, are you now sliding <laughs> towards him being the new manager? No, not yet. There's a lot. There's a lot that needs to happen. They, they need to get points on the board. Yeah. If he if he goes undefeated over the next five and picks up a couple of wins in that time, then maybe I might be swayed. But this was a very simple setup. It was quite direct. It was wing play. It was just classic wing play. Not nothing too adventurous. It was pretty simple. Yeah. In your infinite wisdom, Justin, if you could give a bit of advice to Wayne Rooney, what would it be? Don't manage Derby. Get out while you can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in terms of the the playing side of things. Oh, in terms of the playing side of things, it's it's hard because there's such an imbalance with the squad. But if I was to say something, just start Colin Kazim Richards because that's what Derby have been missing over the last five or six weeks. It's it's so it's just strange that they've not decided to go with him because Martin Mygon when he came on. He couldn't. He couldn't control anything. Colin Kazim Colin Richards could. It was. It was. It was really good performance to watch. And yeah, just start. Just start CKR. CKR. There we go. <laughs> uh, Gareth Ainsworth. He was happy with the point after the game, and they've now drawn three in a row now. But if they are going to stay up, then you feel they need to convert some of these draws into wins, don't you? No, definitely. I, I said. I said at the start of the season they'll take points off teams. You know, they drew with Brentford last week. Got a clean sheet against Huddersfield in midweek, and they've they've got a point against Derby um, yesterday. And they could have won the game as well. They were unlucky not to, but they've got to, you know, they've got to be a bit more. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Clinical. <laughs> not not necessarily clinical, but they've got to stop sort of being happy that they're there, and just be better. Just mm. just be better. It, it sounds so so daft, but they seem like a, such a really nice team, and they're happy to be there. But. The likes of Akin Fenwell yesterday changed the game for Wickham as well. You, you cause chaos in the box. More of that. Make it really hard for teams. Be really hard to beat. Be, be ugly. Be horrible. That's what like, you've got to do. Like Colin Kazim Richards. Like CKR, yes. <laughs> uh, Akin Fenwell is great, isn't he? They just hoof the ball up to him. And he wins it every time because defenders can't physically move him. He just doesn't jump. He just stands his ground every time. And he mm-hmm. wins it. He, he's like a wardrobe. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> Cardiff got just their second win in nine games with a thumping 4-0 win over Luton. Tom Phillips is from the Cardiff podcast View from the Ninian. Tom, how much does this ease the pressure on Neil Harris? Yeah, it definitely eases the pressure uh, on Harris. I think if we'd had a negative result yesterday, I think that could have been him gone. Um, The opinion on him has turned massively over the last week or so. The, The game against Coventry is probably the worst performance I've seen by Cardiff in about four or five years. So it was a much needed result. I, I don't think it was really expected, not not in the manner of uh, the win anyway. I would have taken a scrappy 1-0. I didn't see a 4-0 coming against Luton, who are normally quite resolute to the back. So yeah, huge result and huge result for Harris in particular. What was the feeling around the Cardiff fan base prior to this game? Was there a genuine sense that if they were to lose this game, then Neil Harris could have been sacked? Yeah, I think... There was a feeling that this could be the final nail in the coffin if we'd lost to Luton yesterday. Um, I think the general feeling is everyone wants Neil Harris to do well at Cardiff. I, I don't think there's many people who really hate the bloke or anything like that, but we've looked completely devoid of ideas for the last few weeks. And I think, yeah, a negative result against Luton would have really been the final straw for a lot of our fans. I'm not sure if the, the board would have taken the same view, but I, th- I think that would have been enough as enough then for most of our fans. So this really does ease the pressure on him a bit. A 4 0 win. Like we haven't won by four goals in a long, long time. So the manner of this win is the thing that might save him as well. But 
it'll turn again if we lose against Huddersfield. Um, so, you know, we're quite a fickle fan base at times. So, um, another positive result, and I think the pressure would be massively off on him. Fair enough, Tom. And tell us about um, Mark Harris, because he got on the score sheet yesterday. And I'll tell you what, when I saw that he scored, I will be honest, I was a bit confused because I had no idea who he was. But he's a 21-year-old uh, lad. Uh, that was his first start of the season for Cardiff. Uh, tell us about him. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised you haven't heard of him. Um, he's been in and around the squad for a while now. Um, he's been out on loan to the likes of Wrexham. But he's been in relatively good form for, like, he'd scored against Germany for the under-21s. And he's been kind of knocking on the door for a while. And I think, like, we've been so poor recently that Neil Harris had to try something. So he's gone for his namesake in Mark Harris, and, it, and it's worked. And he played really well yesterday. He was stretching the defence. He was making runs in the channels. And he was offering something that we don't normally have from our front, front players with the likes of Moore and Glatzel. So... No, it's it's refreshing to see kind of an academy product come through. Uh, another Welsh player, the two two Welshmen on the score sheet for us yesterday, which hasn't happened since Paul Parry and Joe Ledley, I think it was. So no, it's it's a welcome inside to see one of our own players kind of make it through to our first team. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, Mark Harris looked very good here, didn't he? And Cardiff in general looked pretty good, didn't they, Justin? They did loads loads better than before, but they need to build on this because they beat Barnsley. Um, a few weeks back, three 0 and they then went on a bad run of form. This is the sort of game they've just got to they've got to go ahead and scoring first in the first ten minutes. I think just lifted the team. It was such a relief for them. I think, and um, that's that's because they they've they've they struggled with conceding first in a lot of games this season. So obviously, as I say, scoring first, especially in the first ten minutes, scoring twice in the first ten minutes, just makes things much easier for that team. Yeah, they'll be hoping that's a turning point for them after what has been a fairly drab start to the season. But let's talk Luton because after a good start, they've kind of stalled a bit. One win in seven mm-hmm. now. In fairness, they've only lost two in that time. But it seems like they've dropped down a gear, doesn't it? It does. And this this game surprised me a bit, mainly because of Luton's away record. But they just they didn't show up today. Uh, sorry, yesterday. Um, uh, you know, I am surprised they conceded so many and defended so poorly. It's three goals from set pieces. They, before this game, they've only conceded four goals away from home. So f- to completely collapse the way they did was a surprise. And as you say, it's been building up to that, I think, over the last few weeks. And as well as that, the goals are starting to dry up as well, which isn't a good um, combination. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because I don't want to sound patronising, but we have got to remember this is Luton. And for them to be in the top half of the Championship... Uh, where they are at the moment is a remarkable achievement considering the mm. amount of money being spent by a lot of the teams around them and they've spent very little on that squad haven't they when you have a good start like they have it's easy to get carried away and forget that they would have taken 21st at the start of the season so you've got to put these things mm. into perspective I suppose uh, at Ewood Park Blackburn beat Barnsley 2-1 thanks to goals from Adam Armstrong and Sam Gallagher Ryan Hildred is from Rovers Chat Ryan how's the game? In summary, it's a game that Barnsley can feel very hard done by. Um, They came and played a a really effective, high-pressing game. And the first half in particular, um, it was mainly possession in the Rovers' back line. We really struggled to get out. Um, And just, yeah, Barnsley did a real good number on us in that sense. Um, It wasn't, you know, Barnsley didn't create too many chances playing that way, but it just really stifled Rovers and we weren't our usual fluid self. Um, Then there's just a big game-changing moment right on half-time. Adam Armstrong, clinical, you know, we go in 1-0 up, Barnsley will feel very hard done by. Second half, bit more in control for Rovers, but um, 
yeah, it was a nervy final 15 minutes. Um, we lost Scott Wharton to injury uh, when we're 1-0 up and then you're thinking, oh, here we go. But then Sam Gallagher eased the nerves with a great goal coming off the bench. Um, but in the true Blackburn Rovers way, goal for Barnsley in stoppage time, which was the least they deserved. And it was, you know, a nervy final five minutes. But, you know, great result for us in the end. Yeah, as you mentioned, Adam Armstrong got on the score sheet again. 13 goals in 13 games for him now, which is just quite frankly ridiculous. Uh, but Sam Gallagher scored as well. And how important is it that other players contribute to the scoring alongside Armstrong? I think it's massively important for Rovers for two reasons. Um, the first, you're only an injury or a sale to a Premier League club away from losing someone like Adam Armstrong. So, yeah, you need to be able to replace those goals in the side. Um, and then not just Sam Gallagher, but Ben Brereton as well. You know, both of them have, have got price tags associated with them and there's been a bit of pressure on them. And it's it's really great to see them both impacting the Rovers side in that way now. And I think that's that's testament to Tony Mowbray and his style of management. Um, you know, keeping his confidence in them, keeping them in and around the squad, you know, players getting behind them. Um, really important. And, you know, from a squad depth perspective, you've got Harvey Elliott, who, you know, really is walking into the team at the moment and, and one of the first names on the team sheet. I really want Sam Gallagher pushing him in that way. And you want Tyrese Dolan pushing Ben Brereton on the other side. So really, really important that people are chipping in and, and creating that that competition in the squad that ultimately is going to drive you up to the top six spots. Yeah, and I've been banging the drum for Blackburn to finish in the top six this season, despite results not necessarily going their way over the past few weeks. Um, it seems like the main issue is the defence, because you're the top scorers in the league. Do you agree that the issue is the defence? And if so, do you think that's going to get better as the season goes on? I think defence this season has been the issue, and I think it's injuries and who's been injured in that back line, um, which has been the issue We've undoubtedly got the personnel to play a very good back four. Um, you know, Nyambi, Lenihan, Ayala and Barry Douglas, that's a good back four at this level. And then Thomas Kaminsky has come in and, and showed himself to be a very good keeper. If you can keep that settled back five, you know, that five unit uh, for most games, then that's a really good basis to work from. The issue for us is we've not had that really this season. Hopefully it will get better once we have the likes of Ayala and Derek Williams coming back and you know, getting themselves into that um, centre-back pairing. But yeah, the key is is luck with injuries. Nice one. Cheers, Ryan. Justin, would you agree? Not the most convincing of performances here from Rovers? It wasn't, but th th these are the sort of games last season that they would have probably dropped points in. Um, they didn't play particularly well. Barnsley were probably the better side of the balance to play, um, but they got the win. And it's these sort of games that make you think, OK, this team might be ready for a playoff challenge because at the end of the day they showed a, a gritty side to them you know they weren't just relying on their chance creation and um, taking the chances they had to do a, a bit a different side of the a different side of the game today and, and, and it worked out yeah they were helped by some interesting defending from Barnsley at times the first goal for example they just decided to leave the championship's top scorer who's got 13 <laughs> goals in 13 games completely unmarked from 10 yards out it's an interesting tactic but Valerie and Ishmael I think He'll be happy with the side's performance, but they, well, in his words, they lacked that killer mentality. And I just get the feeling Barnsley will be all right, won't they? Because they are a good side. And in fact, these are just two teams I really, really like. But they can take encouragement from this performance, can't they? Yeah, and it was the same in midweek against Brentford. They're, they're two good performances when when you come up against these good teams. You you can almost, I mean, like Luton today, uh, yesterday. Sorry, they lost they lost four nil. You know that that can happen, especially with teams that are sort of coming up uh, as Barnsley are. But 
as you, as you said, they can take encouragement from the performances because they've come up against two really good sides, put in good performances. It's not quite what happened for them, but these things even themselves out. You know, there'll be games where they don't play well, they get the points. So, you know, as you say, Barnsley will be absolutely fine this season. They're, they're a good side, they're a well-drilled side and they've got some good players as well. Yeah, of course. Right, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about Bournemouth, Huddersfield and Swansea. Are you struggling for present ideas this Christmas? Have you thought about getting a Dortmund shirt for your dad? What about some Barcelona shorts for your brother? Or maybe even a Lazio jumper for that special someone in your life? Classic Football Shirts has everything you need for any football mad people you're buying for this Christmas. Whether it's a Blackburn shirt from 2007 or even Middlesbrough themed loungewear, whoever they support, they'll have something for their club. Have a look for yourself at classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in-store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast, Bournemouth 2, Rotherham 2. This one could be classed as a coupon buster, I suppose, but Rotherham actually did quite well here. Matt Lax is from the Rotherham United podcast. And Matt, considering there were a league separating these two teams last season, you must have been pretty pleased with this result. Uh, I thought we were, we were probably a little bit unlucky as we had our chances to win the game. Uh, Begovic for them had a superb game. <laughs> Pulled off some saves he had no right to make. Um, but I suppose, yeah, you know, looking at where you've come up, Bournemouth are on a, we're on a good run of form, won three in a row before Saturday. So I suppose from that point of view, yes, we're happy with it. Um, but we we could have won the game, and I suppose there is disappointment that we didn't win the game. But uh, I suppose that's a good thing that we're disappointed that we haven't beat somebody like Bournemouth. Yeah, Begovic certainly was busy, wasn't he? Freddie Ladapo got two of the goals, although one of them, whether that's his goal or not, is a bit questionable. But tell us about him, because he's quite an important player for Rotherham, isn't he? Yeah, Freddie could be an absolutely massive player for us. Um, what's happened in the past couple of games, where Freddie's now got three goals, is that Michael Smith has started to come into his own. Uh, he's started to play a bit better, occupy the opposition defenders a bit more, which has then allowed Freddie a bit more time and space in the box. Uh, and he's got his got his just rewards. Obviously, the first goal is a bit of a, a proper striker's goal, where he's just ghosted in a really really nice run uh, across the defender and finished it. Uh, and the second one, yeah, he's pretty, you know, well, we'll take he will definitely take it. Um, but the work the work before it, where he sort of took the ball down in the box, tried to run around, tried to just make himself a little bit of space. He did, he did wasn't doing that last season. Last season he would have just sort of took a pot shot and you know would have would have would have been cleared. Uh, so to see him sort of, sort of thinking about what he's trying to do and then getting success for it is, is fantastic for us. That's, he's now four goals this season, double his tally, tally, tally yesterday with that. If he can keep chipping in with some goals, he, he could be the one that fires us to safety. And speaking of safety, Rotherham three points above the relegation zone. How confident are you of not going down this season? Still a reasonable amount of confidence. Um, obviously that result against a team like Bournemouth is a good sign. Um, but then we lost to Swansea last week, uh, which again I suppose we're a good team. But a lot of losing to QPR in midweek was a was a big blow and uh, a bit of a worry in the overall performance. But yesterday showed that if we, if we start, you know play what we see as the Rotherham right away, you know aggressive, getting the faces, don't let them have time. And Bournemouth are probably one of the best teams in the division. If we can do it against them, we can do it against anybody. So it's just keeping that confidence up, keeping that performance level up. Uh, and I think we should be, hopefully, 
save the season. Nice one. Cheers, Matt. Fair play for them, Justin. Despite losing four of their last six games this season, there are still five teams below them. So they're not. It's, it seems like a case at the moment that there are teams who are worse than Rotherham, but they're kind of just hovering above the relegation zone, really, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it is quite tight, but performance like, performances like this will make you think, actually, maybe this Rotherham team's got something about them because I think they were unlucky not to maybe win. You know, a draw is probably a fair result, but Begovic made some absolutely quality saves. Yeah. Um, the, the one from Angus McDonald's overhead kick was, was sublime. Um, but the, the way they played against Bournemouth, it gives you a lot of confidence in this Rotherham team. And you just, you, if, they can, if they can tighten up a bit at the back, they can start getting more results. Yeah, Jason Tyndall was disappointed with the result and he'll be disappointed with the performance as a whole, won't he? Yeah, definitely. You know, they'll be disappointed the way they conceded the goals. Freddie Ledapo was able to waltz through the defence quite easily. He only had 19 touches in the game and he managed to have such an impact the way he did. Um, it's not quite good enough defence from a Bournemouth perspective and the goal was a bit of a fluke, but with the saves Begovic made throughout the game, it's a surprise that he got beat the way he did there. But it has to be better and you know you look at especially from a Bournemouth perspective you look at these games where you think okay this is where we can pick up a clean sheet because they're against a team that as you pointed out they were a league they were separated by a league last season um, but it's just not happened for them and that's why it's so open this season in the Championship but Bournemouth in these games they have to improve they have to improve defensively as well if they're going to maintain a top two finish yeah, it's the kind of game they should be running at the end of the day, isn't it? Um, Huddersfield managed to break down the Middlesbrough defensive wall three times to beat them 3-2. Worth pointing out, it was absolutely tipping it down at this game. It was <laughs> The players were drenched, which I suppose would benefit Borough over Huddersfield. But here we are talking about Huddersfield win, Justin. I don't know, a slick surface for a team that plays the way Huddersfield do, you know, playing under Corbrand ball, I think it's perfect for them because, you know, slick surface, quick, quick play and it's the way Huddersfield play they move the ball quick they break quick and they can play through the third so having a wet surface only lends to that I think that is absolute rubbish because the pitch is going to get bogged all boggy into it people say slick oh, service this, is a, this isn't a Sunday league pitch this is a professional football ground the point remains it would benefit Borough and their shithouse style of football over Huddersfield but how good were Huddersfield here? They were great. As I say, they moved the ball so quick and when you're coming up against a Borough team who are as structured and disciplined as they are, it should be applaud- uh, should be applauded. Uh, and I think they have gone under the radar because you know I've been banging their drum for the last five or six weeks. And then when you bring into the equation that they went 1-0 down against a team, against a Warnock team, it's always going to be hard. And as you pointed out, they broke through Borough three times. Borough haven't conceded more than one goal in any game this season. So that's that's an achievement in itself. But the way they go forward, they're brave. You know, you're looking at the Carroll Lighting goal. They force Borough to sit so deep because they commit to their attacks. They're a well-drilled team. Results will be mixed for them this season. But as they go through the motions, you know, this game, I think, is the pinnacle going forward for them. They're, they're so good going forward. Fraser Campbell got one of the goals and he just seems to pop up every few months. Scores a goal and then disappears off the face of the planet again. <laughs> uh, Josh Cromer also scored and he looks like a really good player, doesn't he? But getting better. Yeah, definitely. Borough probably should have won this, really. They had the better chances, especially Brett Sommelonga, who essentially missed an open goal. However, <laughs> you have got to give credit to Huddersfield for creating three chances against Middlesbrough, let alone scoring three goals. Uh, mm-hmm. Borough had only conceded six in 13 games before this weekend, as you mentioned, hadn't conceded more than once this season. The issue with Borough is 
and it, it seems to be the same problem again and again, putting away chances, because they are creating them. It's not just a park-the-bus situation every game. Someone like Brett Sombolonga should be loving life in this side, really, but he's struggling for some reason. I, I'm not sure why, Justin. He's, I mean, he struggled last season under Woodgate. That, that might have an impact, because you know, for the best part of 14, 15 months, it's not been going for him. But he is a good striker, and you know when he when he does get chances, he does put them away. Obviously, it's quite quite contradictory to say that because he hasn't in this case. But you know, I think he'll, he'll pick up form eventually. And I think Borough, you know, Neil Warnock loves stockpiling strikers. I think they'll bring one or two in maybe in the January transfer window, which might help them out a little bit because he's a he's a he's a manager who likes to rotate that forward line quite often. Well, they've got Chuba Appom as well but he's not exactly someone who's known for being prolific but uh, as you say we have got January just around the corner now so I think that will be an area that Neil Warnock will be looking to strengthen. This Sunday afternoon Swansea beat Forest 1-0 thanks to a goal from Connor Roberts the 5'7 Connor Roberts who managed to beat the 6'4 Sammy Amiobi in the air um, brilliant header but I don't understand how that's possible Justin Yeah um <laughs> Trying to work out the physics in my head. Amiobi is a big guy. Um, could probably fit two Connor Roberts on him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's not quite good enough when you you're getting beaten. That's that's when you start to question desire to defend in that situation. Get put your head in there, defend the goal because Forest aren't picking up points and Amiobi isn't cont- contributing going forward. So just stick your head in there, stop the goal do anything to stop the goal. You've got to die mm. for three points. A man once said. Um, <laughs> Uh, Swansea now have got the best defence in, I think, English football. They've got the best defence in um, in uh, the Championship now after Middlesbrough conceded three goals yesterday. And it's quite remarkable, really, isn't it, when you consider they've just sold their best defender um, in Joe Roden to Spurs and their best defender from last season in Mike van der Horn's gone as well. But they're still going very well, aren't they? Uh, well, again, it's one of those things. Like, where do you, How can you put your finger on it? Because you, you get your best players leave, you think you're going to struggle after that and they haven't necessarily replaced him because Ryan Bennett's come in but he's he's an experienced defender he's not a ball playing defender like Van der Horn or Joe Roden were so it, it's maybe changed things a little bit for Swansea they're a bit more pragmatic and structured um, and the shape every game is is working for them and they take the chances when, when they come as well so yeah it's it's a really well drilled Swansea team and they're not just a organised structured team they're, they're a great team in possession as well yeah Steve Cooper knows what he's doing and he's getting the best out of Mark Gurhey and Ben Cabango who are just a couple of young lads at the end of the day aren't they but mm-hmm. they're playing exactly. like experienced pros uh, but a great win for Swansea who are now up to fourth Forest still only just above the relegation zone it's not clicking is it for some reason again it's another thing you just can't put your finger on because the, the team that they've got the squad that they've got the, the three squads that they've got they're the all manager. very good squads Exactly, and a, and a quality manager. But they've lost three on the bounce without scoring. The the two games that they won previous to that were against Wickham and Coventry. They're two teams you expect them to beat, but since then they've been quite poor. And you just you're looking at the team and you're wondering where the goals are coming from. But there's create there's creativity in goals in, in Lolly and Knockout, for example. But it just doesn't seem to be cohesive at the moment going forwards and defensively they were let down again by a loss of concentration or you know, attitude or whatever. Um and it's little things like that that are stopping Forest from progressing and, and they have to because as we said they're just a couple of points above the relegation zone Do you think I don't know we might be getting a bit carried away with their performances at the moment but are they potentially in a relegation battle this season? Maybe in a few more games that might be the case I think that 
I mean, you want to say that they've got enough in their squad, but you look at Derby who are down there where everyone's saying their squad's good enough to be higher up the table. They're not. They're not at the moment. And Forrest are down there as well. So maybe a few more games you might be asking that question. Um, but there just seems... there's just It's just something weird going on at Forest at the moment. And no one can put the finger on it. Don't even think Chris Hewton could. Yeah, we'll have to reassess that in about a month's time, I think, mm. won't we? Uh, Norwich 1, Coventry 1. Norwich's injury problems are getting a bit ridiculous now. 13 players were missing for this game. They could only name six subs and five of them were academy players. They also had Marco Stieperman up front, who's more of a midfielder. Um, <laughs> it's not an ideal situation. Either way, they managed a point. They were a bit lucky, though, weren't they, Justin? Because the penalty they were given was very debatable. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm exasperated. Um, it was an awful decision. It was, it was really good goalkeeping and I don't know how he's been punished for it because the ball changes direction. Yeah, that gives you the first indication that he's he's got he's got a hand on the ball. Um, it's just bizarre, and it's unfortunately it's it's another talking point. We don't want to talk about officials, but they make it very topical for us to to do so. Yeah, the standard of officiating at this level sometimes it's it is shocking, quite frankly, isn't it? And it does bring up the case for VAR again. I'm not sure if we necessarily want it in the championship, but. When you see things like this that have ultimately cost Coventry three points here, well, mm-hmm. two points, it's it's criminal at the end of the day because it's clearly just not a penalty. Because as you say, the keeper has palmed it away, but he's still giving it. It's ridiculous. Uh, but going back to Norwich's injuries, Max Ahrens went off in this game as well. So the situation's even worse. And that's not ideal when you've got the busy Christmas period coming up. So uh, I think Daniel Farker might be a bit limited with the personnel he's got available during that time. They're farked, aren't they? Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, should Coventry be a bit disappointed? Do you think, considering the injury problems, we'll ignore the penalty, but do you think yeah. Mark Robbins will be looking at this thinking they should have got three points? Potentially, yeah. I mean, the amount of chances again that they created, they were they were they were good they were good um, value for, for the win, but I think nonetheless it's a good result for Coventry because they're building on a steady start after the international break which they've needed to do, we're starting to see a bit more grit about them, which has eluded them um, for the first few, which eluded them for the first few weeks of the season. And as as we pointed out, they've halted a really good team here, the form team in the league. And to an extent, they took advantage of Norwich's circumstances. But it's something to build on. You know, Biamio again, he's on the score sheet. He's not a regular goal scorer. So that lightens the load on Walker and obviously Godden, who's out injured at the moment. So there's a lot of encouragement there and a lot to build on for Coventry. And they've got Derby midweek, which... Is a big game for both teams. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Wednesday nil, Stoke nil. This game is absolutely appalling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this could be a bit of a theme under Tony Pulis. Wednesday have managed just two shots on target in three games, which is remarkable. Uh, also remarkable was Jordan Rose was subbed on and then taken off. Don't think he was injured either, but that's never good. Um, anyway, less said about this game, the better. And the same goes for Birmingham nil, Millwall nil. I bloody said on Thursday as well this game was an obvious draw. But I, I didn't put money on it. Why do I do no, this to myself? <laughs> I mean, the, these two teams have drawn the most in the league this season. Mm. So <laughs> another draw was totally expected here. And they're probably the most evenly matched teams in the division. You know, Millwall have scored 12. Birmingham City have conceded 12. Millwall have conceded 10. Birmingham City have scored 10. So if ever a game was going to be a nil-nil, it was this one. Absolutely. Let's do who knows wins. This is our league where you can win money 
by correctly predicting the results of championship games. It's really easy to do. Just download the Who Knows Wins app and join our league. Guess the most correct results out of all the games in the championship. The more people involved, the bigger the prize. This week's win pot was a massive £201 and it was split between two people who got eight correct results out of 12 that's brown 20592 and rfc steph so well done you two you have split 59 pounds 50 between you which is not bad going at all for a weekend uh, we've got midweek games coming up justin so make sure you join our midweek league listener before the deadline on tuesday for your chance to win some big money justin let's go through the games uh, we'll start off with cardiff huddersfield who you gone for uh, i'm going with huddersfield here I'm going to go draw. Birmingham Barnsley. I'm going for a draw. I'm going Barnsley. Bournemouth Preston. I'm going Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Derby Coventry. I'm going draw. Big game. I'm going to go Derby, you know. I fancy Rooney to Ooh. get things off the mark. Uh, QPR Bristol City. I'm going... Oh, this is a hard one. I'm going QPR, I think. You know, I'll go QPR as well. Rather than Brentford. Uh, Brentford. Yeah, I'll go Brentford too. Uh, Wednesday, we've got Borough versus Swansea. Sorry, I read, I heard that as Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Borough versus Swansea. Um, Borough. The two best defences in the league. I'm going nil-nil. Blackburn, Millwall. Uh, I'm going to go Blackburn. Millwall have drawn too many games. Yeah, I'll go Blackburn as well. Luton, Norwich. Ooh, draw. Before, that would have been relatively yeah. straightforward I think but with the injury problems it's tricky I'll go Luton Forest Watford Watford um, yeah I'll go Watford as well Chef Wednesday Reading um, I'm going to go draw yeah I'll go draw again and uh, Wickham Stoke I'm going to go draw I'll go Stoke you've got for a lot of draws there mate it's a, it's a midweek, everyone's tired. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Who Knows Wins. Make sure you join our league to win some big prizes. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. We now know which teams will be allowed to have in fans from this week. It says the government announced which tiers each area of the UK will be in. So if your team is in tier three, then you're having no fans for the time being. Sorry. Tier two, you're allowed up to 2,000 fans. Tier one, you're allowed 4,000. But the only place in mainland England which is in tier one is Cornwall. And they don't have any championship teams as far as I'm aware. Uh, we went into more detail in, on this at the uh, start of the episode from midweek so have a listen to that if you want to hear more of our thoughts on it uh, Wayne Rooney is in the dugout for Derby's game against Wickham he played in the loss to Borough in midweek but decided to take himself out of the squad of course he's well he was part of a management team wasn't he but he's not anymore mm -hmm. um, we spoke about that a bit earlier didn't we but more <coughs> more importantly at Derby Justin Steve McLaren's back for the fifth time he's been appointed as the club's new technical director ahead of the takeover by Davencio Holdings um, first off thoughts on McLaren return of the Mac I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a lover of it the um, saviour returns exactly exactly the the, the Derby Messiah he, he's back um, but yeah I guess in more serious terms um, he it's, it's a good appointment because it speaks of a, a, a movement going forwards in the, that there's trying to be a structure around the club um, especially in the the, the upstairs department, which Derby have needed 
probably since Nigel Clough left because Nigel Clough did everything. Um, and since he since he obviously left, they haven't really had that. And recruitment's been poor. There hasn't really been an identity or a style of play or just anything. Yeah, you know, something like Swansea, Brentford, they all have identities. Derby haven't had that. And um, I think Steve McLaren coming in and maybe helping that out or contributing to that is going to be helpful. And obviously, if Wayne Rooney is made manager, then he's got a experienced head to lean on as well. It does smell. It does smell a bit like McLaren is being there as like the older head for Rooney being yeah. appointed, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Which is not good news if you don't want Rain Rooney to be the next Derby manager, um, <laughs> which I believe Justin is one of those people. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about transfers, Justin, because there's been a few this week, you know. Alan Hilalovich has signed for Birmingham. For anyone who isn't aware of who he is, he was a teenage prodigy being called the Croatian Messi when he was about 15. Uh, he went to Barcelona, things didn't really work out, and since then he's had spells at a number of clubs. He's now 24 and was a free agent before Blues picked him up. I'm very intrigued to see how it will go, Justin, because if he ends up, you know, living up to the potential that we thought he had, uh, then he could be a sensational signing, couldn't he? It could. I'm just a bit worried because it's under Karanka. But then again, I think back to when Karanka signed Gaston Ramirez for Borough and he was unreal. Mm. Um, so I think it, you know, if they get the best out of him, he could be a bit like that. But if it doesn't work out, then it's, you know, where do you go? It's the new Freddie I do, isn't it? Because Alan Halalovic is one of those FM wonder kids that everybody signed at one point. Yeah. But yeah, it's just not quite worked out for him. But you just hope that, you know, having Sunjic alongside him, you know, a compatriot like that is going to help him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lee Camp is back in the championship he's joined Coventry on a two-month deal after their usual number one Marco Morosi went off injured against Cardiff he suffered a fractured eye socket which I will be honest Justin makes me feel a bit queasy when I think about it but Campy Campy is back Justin are you excited yeah I think so I'm, yeah I have to I have to be excited yes because it's Lee Camp Okay, yeah, I'm buzzing then. I'm, I'm so happy. Good, it's good to hear. Uh, speaking <laughs> of emergency keepers who have been signed, Stoke have gone from former Bristol City goalkeeper Nicky Mayampa. It's after two injuries to Adam Davies and Angus Gunn. Uh, injury news. Norwich midfielder Kenny McLean could be out for up to five months with a meniscus tear. Uh, tear. Goalkeeper Tim Krull might miss the whole of the Christmas period after getting injured in the midweek game against Stoke. And as we were saying, they're racking up a few injuries now, are the Canaries. Preston defender Darnell Fisher has been banned for three games for violent conduct. It's after he was caught grabbing Callum Patterson in the nether regions. Um, violent conduct? doesn't Seems a bit drastic, doesn't it? I mean, they, they've got set charges, haven't they? And obviously what, what Darnell Fisher did fell under that category. So that's the category they gave it. It's not violent, but it's not good conduct, so... Football fans in Chile are campaigning for Blackburn forward Ben Brereton to play for their country. Uh, the 21-year-old has a Chilean mother, so now every time he posts on social media, he gets bombarded with comments asking him to play for Chile or the Chile flag being spammed in the comments. Uh, would you be a fan of seeing Ben Brereton lining up alongside Alexis Sanchez and Arturo Vidal? I'd be, I'd be inclined to start a national um, petition to get this happening. You know, I want I want the uh, the House of Commons to to bring it up. So let's get to hundred thousand signatures and make this happen. 
I, I want to see it happen as well. It's going to be a bit <laughs> jarring seeing all these Spanish names and then Ben Browton is just stood in there as well. But I don't know if he even speaks Spanish, but there you go. Uh, right, let's do some polls, Justin. So on our Twitter, we asked you three questions at the start of the show. If you want to get involved, then make sure you follow us at Second Tier Pod. Uh, the first question was, should Alex Neal be sacked? Yes or no? Justin, which way are you going? I'm on the fence at the minute. Um I'm going to say no, but I'm leaning towards the yes because of the terrible perform at the moment. I would also go no, I think. Uh, 60% agree with us, while 40% said he should be. Uh, how much will the clubs who are allowed fans benefit compared to the other championship teams in terms of performance, not financially? Uh, a lot, a little bit, not at all, or they'll suffer for it. Justin, which way do you think he'll go? <laughs> do you know what? I'd have said not at all um, up until yesterday, but then... The Derby game sort of made me think 2,000 fans willing their Derby players on might have got that result. So I'm going to say it will benefit. 53% said a little bit. 33% said a lot. 11% not at all. And 3% said they'll suffer for it. Who voted for that? I don't even know why I put it in as an option, (laughs) to be quite honest. And uh, which is the best celebrations, heroes, quality street or roses? Uh, I will instantly rule out the last two because I just don't think so. For me, it's heroes Mm -hmm. because I think... Compared to Celebration, they've got disgusting ones like Bounty and Snickers in there. Um, I know you're a massive fan of Bounty, that's why I said that. Uh, But Heroes, (laughs) you don't have a bad one in there. It is the perfect chocolate, what what are they even called? Confectionery, um, like, packages, I don't know. (laughs) Mini chocs. Box, confectionery box we'll go with. Uh, So I'd say Heroes, just in which way you're going. If you'd asked me a year ago, it'd have been Celebrations, but I could eat Heroes all day. So I'm going to go Heroes. Uh, 29% said heroes celebrations got a massive 48% which I think might be based just because they're you know the bigger name out of the four aren't they uh, quality street got 13% roses got 10% which is very sad for quality street and roses right now it's time for this hi Simon Grayson Edge. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Billy Grant from the Brentford podcast Be Sotted and Alex Everson from the Reading podcast Elm Park Royals. Alex, do you feel prepared for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight? Uh, given it was dropped on me with like 20 seconds notice, no, I don't feel prepared if I'm honest, but we'll see how it goes. Justin, you had a spider drop on your shoulder in the last few minutes. How do you feel? Um, the heart's still beating, it's racing. I'm nervously looking up to make sure it doesn't drop down again. <laughs> so if you see me, if you hear me scream or shout or run away, then it's because it's come back again. So I look forward to it. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject, and all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So for example, if I were to say, name the eight current championship clubs Lee Camp has played for, and Justin would say Birmingham, that's one down, and Billy would say Forest, that's another down. But if Alex would say Barcelona, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Is that clear? Oh, Yes. Lovely. So, since we've got a Brentford fan and a Reading fan here, I thought we'd make this week's Hateful Eight about one of the things that both clubs have got in common, and that is stripes. So, there are 11 clubs in the Premier League and Championship who have stripes, where one of the colours is white. Brentford and Reading are obviously two of them. Newcastle is another one. Can you name me the eight remaining clubs that have stripes, with white being one of the colours 
in the Championship and Premier League. Uh, this is based off their traditional kits, not their current shirts, because one of these teams has decided not to play with stripes this season. Very irritatingly. Uh, Justin, you can go first. Can you name me a club in the Championship or Premier League that plays with stripes and one of the colours is white? Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday is absolutely spot on. That is one down. Billy, can you name another one for me, please? In the Premier League and Championship, yeah? Yes. OK, Sheffield United. Sheffield United, yes. Alex? Um, I'm assuming that if we're counting Reading as stripes, then I will go QPR. QPR is also correct. Justin? That came around really quick. I <laughs> wasn't prepared for it. Um, Stoke. Stoke is also correct. You're flying. You've got four left. Billy, can you name another one, please? Brighton. Brighton is correct. You've got three more. Alex? Um, Southampton. Southampton is also correct. That was the one I was a bit worried about because they don't actually have stripes this season. They've got this, like, sash instead <coughs> for some reason. Um, Justin, two more. Can you give me um, another one, please? Is, Hudders is Huddersfield Town one? Huddersfield Town is one, and you've got one more left. All three of you are still in. Billy, can you name the final club who plays with stripes and one of the colours is white? Stripes. Oh, he's struggling. Ooh. I'm just, okay. A traditional kit as well, didn't you say? So it's not like, no, it's not. I was going to say, um, no. I've got to push you. All right, okay. Um, it's not, it's not though, but Blackburn Rovers, it's not. It's got a funny it's sort of stripe in the middle. It's, got big... <laughs> it's not Blackburn. Uh, Alex? Uh, West Brom. Yes, Alex has got it. West Brom is the final one. So we have another winner of Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Billy, how do you feel? I feel, I feel, I feel glad to be part of the team, to be quite honest. It's, it's a team effort, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Right, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, that's us, otherwise. We'll be back again in the week. We'll bring you another load of championship action because obviously we have more midweek games. Me and Justin do not get a rest when it comes to this podcast. But thank you for listening uh, to this terrific bit of championship podcasting. Also, thank you to Billy Grant from the Brentford podcast Be Sotted. Thanks for having me, guys. Really enjoyed it. No problem. And also Alex Everson from the Reading podcast Elm Park Royals. Alex, thank you for your time. Nice one, gents. Thank you very much. This has been the Second Tier Podcast, and we'll be back again with a midweek episode on Thursday. We look forward to seeing you then. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you.